This is the John Oakley Show podcast. And here we are, hour two of a great day for talk radio. Tomorrow, of course, we're bracing for another blow of winter. And, <laughs> you know, it just never seems to end. Matter of fact, you know, it's funny. Uh, I started to realize I'm even getting sick and tired of the winter because I love playing hockey in the winter three times a week. And uh, earlier this week, I found myself asking some of the other guys, when's when's the season over? When do they take the ice out? <laughs> like, it's already starting to wear on me. Uh, even stuff you like doing in the winter is starting to become a little tedious. By the way, uh, I did not consider soccer to be a winter sport, but who knew? Uh, you've got the folks from Panama in town playing the FC down at BMO Field on the waterfront. Can you imagine coming up here from Panama and for the first time seeing your own breath in the air? It'd be very distracting, <laughs> you, you especially might not, in the middle of a soccer game. You might not know what that is. Uh, you know what's interesting to me is <laughs> how these guys actually can comport themselves in that minus 15 with the wind chill. Here's what I, I think it probably would be like. If you want that sensation, uh, go out into the field, find an 18-inch boulder, and then go and cuff it with the instep of your foot and uh, see how you like them apples. Because that's about what it's going to be kicking a soccer ball tomorrow. Unbelievable. Well, uh, that's tomorrow. Let's just uh, move on with things happening today, or actually last night. We had these by-elections just ahead of our panel joining us in topics worthy of discussion. In the last hour, we had been addressing some of the uh, fallout from last night's three by-elections across the country. The big story, I guess, more or less, is Jugmeet Singh winning for the NDP a seat in the House of Commons as their leader, and uh, this was a litmus test of whether or not The guy still would retain the credibility of being leader, seems to have passed that test, and is uh, quite actually emboldened to suggest that, you know, this is a breakthrough moment, Uh, it will inspire kids going forward. But a lot of other people see it as another progressive alternative to Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons. So uh, in that sense, maybe Jugmeet's a winner, or by... uh, I guess, unintended consequence, Andrew Scheer, you might say. Let's find out who the winners and losers were in last night's by-elections. Joining us on the line, our friend Tom Parkin, a columnist with a bluntly social democratic point of view. Thomas, how are you doing this afternoon? I'm good. How are you? Pretty good, too. I, I guess you're good. excited. Jugmeet's got himself a seat in the House of Commons. Well, you know, he's got himself unstuck. Uh, he, there he was for two months, at least, uh, out in the British Columbia coast. Uh, far away from, you know, the media centers uh, like, you know, uh, Ottawa and Toronto, not in the House of Commons, unable to really come to the aid of his, his Quebec MPs and, and help uh, do the party building there. So now that he's got that under control, it it does op- open up some other opportunities for the guy. All right. Uh, so you see him as a, a going concern. You know, uh, this is what... I'm suggesting another progressive alternative to Justin Trudeau in the House of Commons, and that's kind of playing into Andrew Shear's hands, don't you think? Uh, well, you know, Andrew Shear. I think Andrew Shear's difficulty is, well, if we look back when when Mr. Harper became Prime Minister and got his majority, uh, the important thing that people forget is it, it it wasn't because you know more liberals moved to the NDP. It was because the Conservatives increased their vote. He, he got a minority on 36, uh, then he got his majority on 39% uh, of the vote. So, you, you know, um, the job for Mr. Scheer is to win more votes for him. Uh, he can't rely on vote splitting. That's really, I know the liberals love, love to talk about that, but the political science really doesn't 
it doesn't bear it out as the way, and nobody's going to win. Yeah, but wait a minute, that was the orange wave. That was really because Jack Layton brought the orange wave through Quebec, 40 seats, and so uh, this was the divide-and-conquer thing, and Harper was a beneficiary of that. No, because Harper's vote went up. That's the crucial fact. He got 39% of the vote, and at 39% of the vote, you're going to win. Okay, well, who's to say it doesn't happen this time around for Andrew Scheer, but you see it uh, as... Uh, do you think that, by the way, the NDP can still make inroads into Quebec? Because last night, Bill Morneau was rather disparaging. They went Outremont. Yeah. They took Thomas Mulcair's old seat, and uh, he basically yeah. said, you know, this orange wave is a dead sea. Well, I'm not sure it's dead sea. It's certainly, uh, you know, they got 26 or 27% last night in Outremont, which obviously is not a win. It's a loss. But um, they ran second, they ran a solid second. So... The hope is, and this is, you know, politics is all about, uh, you know, putting putting the, the nose to the grindstone and communicating with voters, is that there remains a, a base uh, for the NDP in Quebec, even though it's really not been well-tended for quite some time now, uh, especially in the last few months when, when, as I say, Singh has been pinned out in the West Coast. So he's, uh, I think he's already said today, announced that he's going to be in Quebec uh, next week, and uh, for sure, uh, that is uh, something he's got to turn his attention to. He's done a little bit of that. If you may recall, some time ago, he went on the that you know quite important uh, CBC uh, television program, Tout uh, le monde en parle. It's like a mm-hmm. it's a political talk show. It's the big one, right? The big one, and it gets talked about in the columns the days after, and talked about in the radio thereafter, stuff like that. And he did quite well, so he can do these things. Whether he will do these things, I think that's going to be the interesting thing to watch. But if he can get some traction in Quebec, uh, then you know it, it's he's got a base well beyond anything that Jack Layton ever walked into, uh, which was nothing. Well, all right, I see what you're saying as a starting point. By the way, how's his French? Yeah. His French is good. Okay. Uh, yeah. Now, the other thing, of course, the wild card is the Bloc is uh, enjoying somewhat of a resurgence. The NDP might be eclipsed by the Bloc again. Now, that's interesting. Um, the last night's election put the Bloc, I, I think, in, 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 uh, in third or, or fourth in Montreal, but that is in Montreal. Um, the, the, the way that the regions in Quebec plays out, and it's not clear to me that uh, the downtown's areas in Montreal where the NDP tends to be strong, puts them into a conflict. They may, the Bloc vote uh, can be, you know, is often up kind of in the Saguenay region or in the suburban Montreal region. So I'm not sure how that's going to play out, whether those are exactly the same pools. But again, I mean, you raise a good point, John. These are little parts of the puzzle where we've got actually in Quebec a five-party race with Maxime Bernier's party being strong well, him personally, mm. making the push in the Quebec City region, which is typically, uh, a, you know, is where the Conservative Party wins first if it can win seats in Quebec. So there are many, many uh, dynamics here. The NDP more competing against the Liberals, especially in Montreal. Uh, the BQ, the People's Party, perhaps more competing against uh, the Conservatives in the regions outside of Montreal, that 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 might be the uh, the flow, but I think I think we got to watch, um, watch and see how this all starts to play out. It's all right, interesting. Let me move through a couple of quicker points here. Tom Parkin with us, columnist with a bluntly social democratic point of view. By the way, uh, the NDP twenty five percent of their members are not running again, so there's high turnover or rotation, and their fundraising's weak. So again, your prospects, I don't know. Well, the, 
the fundraising is, uh, I mean, they, they just got to work harder on that. <laughs> on the, uh, on, on candidates, you know, candidates roll over and, um, you know, for, for candidates to retire, it's new opportunities for people to come in. So uh, that's, you know, people get, uh, John, people get older and then they retire. Well, listen, let me ask you, because there's another thing here, and uh, it's an awkward thing to bring up, but Quebec yeah. is one of these places where, you know, uh, religious symbols maybe aren't as popular as they might be in other precincts. You know, they had the whole dog and pony show across the province about uh, looking at, uh, you know, cultural values tests and things like that. I mean, you've got a leader, he wears a turban, you know, yeah. they might not take kindly to that, or they might see that as a negative. How do you perceive it? Well, I think there's a couple of ways of looking at this one. Interestingly, by the strict approach of secularism, uh, which people, you know, might not be familiar with the history, of course, the schools, the hospitals, the political system was really run by, uh, in partnership with uh, the Catholic Church up until the early 1960s, and then came the Quiet Revolution. And secularism, get rid of church-run hospitals, get rid of church-run schools, going to be a secular society. So there was all this idea that we don't want religious symbols uh, in schools and hospitals and other public places. That never actually applied to politicians because they didn't, they didn't uh, work in the state. They weren't servants of the state. They were, they were representatives of the people. People could choose whoever they want. So this is the kind of nuance, um, for better or worse, that you know, this entire secularism debate gets into in Quebec. I mean, this is, it's a little bit, uh, it's, you know, highly theoretical in some ways. But nonetheless, I think we can, we know that, um, you know, regarding Judge Me Singh, that um, wherever he is, he faces some discrimination. Uh, and I would suggest to you as well that uh, one, of the, one of the issues that he has is that uh, for most people, well, if they're assessing a political leader, they're thinking about whether they approve or disapprove of him. They're going to they're going to look at his character. They're going to evaluate it, and uh, then they're going to come down when the pollster calls and says, you know, and say that they approve or disapprove. But frankly, for a bigot, um, they're going to make up their decision to disapprove simply on the fact that he's from a minority religion or has brown skin. All right. Well, uh, so you know, uh, he gets loaded. It, there's a there's a built-in bias in his approval disapproval ratings which is different than we've never faced before. But Right, well, and that's why I'm asking the question yeah. in Quebec. It's going to be uh, fascinating to see how that plays out. Uh, the other thing I'm kind of curious about is, uh, you know, here in Ontario, uh, with this York-Simcoe vote, uh, uh-huh. you know, the Conservatives won rather handily. Yeah. They were expected to. Uh, you think they were losers in a, fa- in a fashion because... Uh, their gains were very small, relatively small. I might submit to you that maybe it was a foregone conclusion, so it was low voter turnout, and there was also that big accident on the 400. Could be. Could be, John. Thank you. Uh, their vote only went up a bit, but in Burnaby, their vote down, went down significantly, and they ran fifth in, uh, in, 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 in Outremont. The Liberals also, they would drop, I think, about eight points in Burnaby South, uh, and they dropped nine points in York Simcoe, obviously they went up in Utrecht. So I don't think any party walks away from what happened last night feeling like they had the, you know, they had the win of the day. Um, obviously, for, for Singh, the major objective is, is met. He gets elected, but they lose Utrecht. That's the downside. The Liberals get Utrecht, but they lose get ground in the other two riding. That's got to be concerning. And especially for the Conservatives, 
losing ground in Burnaby South to a you know insurgent People's Party candidate uh, who ran a, a rather strong candidate in York Simcoe. They didn't. And the People's Party candidate got 2% of the vote. All right. So, so you're seeing that that might just be uh, somewhat of a stumbling block for Andrew Scheer. Last question. I mean, yeah, what's to distinguish? Problems on his right, yeah. What's to distinguish Jagmeet Singh from Justin Trudeau? I mean, they're both anti-pipeline and they're pandering to Quebec uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, to B.C. in a fashion. So really, uh, what's to choose between them? Well, Mr. Being anti-pipeline, not not too sure that we can go along with that one. I mean, he's a man who bought a pipeline with $4.5 billion dollars. Actually, he, a plan for he, he's not really sincere about wanting this thing developed, though. Let's be honest. Well, okay. Uh, I think a major thing that we're seeing right now is that, you know, everybody's taking their, their reading on what does this SNC-Lavalin scandal all really mean. Uh, and I would submit that, you know, what it's suggesting to Canadians is that the sunny ways and for the people kind of stuff um, was a bit of a smokescreen. And we're seeing now that Mr. Trudeau is a... You know, a corporate insider, favorites, uh, and friends kind of politician. And, I mean, he his party took $100,000 in illegal donations from SNC-Lavalin, had to refund them, uh, and then created a special law uh, and then tried to, and is changing, sorry, the uh, the standards on sentencing, uh, the, the, the penalty, mm-hmm. uh, all at the instigation of SNC-Lavalin. And, of course... The idea that he intervened uh, to in, in the prosecution of SNC Lavalin. So, you know, I think a lot of Canadians look at the situation and say, well, you know what? Where's the government on my side? Well, who it's is, interesting. Who's helping me? Well, and, and, and the folks out west are asking that same question, Tom. The folks out west are saying, how come he went to bat for a Quebec based company, but not for the Trans Mountain Pipeline? The contrast is stark. People are taking note. This is going to impact them. I'm thinking seven months down the road during the next election. And, of course, the other stuff with the uh, SNC-Lavalin scandal continues to fester. Listen, i got to let you run along, but it's one of those topics worthy of discussion you're familiar with, with our panel coming up. So uh, I'm going to drill into it in moments. Keep going. All right. And so we'll talk to you when you see when you come into the studio for a panel discussion uh, rather uh, shortly, I'm sure. Thanks for your time. Okay, take care. See you soon. You got it. Tom Park and again, columnist with a bluntly social democratic point of view. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and anywhere else you get your on demand audio.